Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by Adam, Triple A Adams, who hosts one of the most active real estate meetup groups and is highly experienced in raising capital for real estate. So I'm really excited to let him share his, his expertise today. So Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So I know we had a little bit of troubles before hopping on this call. It, it always seems like Zoom and technology fails us at the worst period of time, but we're able to get you on this call still. So yeah, thanks so much for joining us. I'm grateful to be here. So I'll give you a little bit of an intro so the audience knows a little bit more about you if they haven't already heard some of your content or know too much about you already. So a little bit about Adam. He started investing in real estate in 2005 after repositioning his first apartment community in 2007 from a $2 million value to a $4 million value in 12 months as a property manager. Adam bought his first multifamily apartment building Since then, Adam has managed several single-family fix and flips and holds over 100 multifamily rental doors. So Adam is the organizer of Colorado's most active real estate group, and he hosts the Creative Real Estate Podcast. So yeah, before we get too far into this interview, do you want to take it away and share a little bit more about yourself and and what you're currently working on, Adam? Sure, a bit. Yeah, the bio that you have is on my website, and I should have updated it because it's a lot more than a hundred. I'm at about 1400 now. And uh, yeah, so the bio is a little bit old, but we do run a meetup group here in Colorado and it's the highest rated, highest attended and, um, and most active meetup group in the state of Colorado and one of the top six meetups in the world. And uh, that's something that I I love doing. I love podcasting, hosting meetups, Um, basically just connecting. I like people. And so do anything, anything that kind of um, uh, connects me with other people and helps me understand other people's stories has always been uh, something that I've, I've really enjoyed. And as I've, you know, more doors than I do. And, um, but as, as I go along the journey, I just like to bring people along with me. And so that's kind of what I use the podcast for, the meetups for. Um, and as, as you said, I, I've been in real estate since 2005, uh, got involved in apartments in 2007, and just have, you know, felt ups, felt downs going through the crash when I owned apartments through the crash. Um, and so I've experienced a little bit and it hasn't all been multifamily. I've been involved in self-storage units, mobile home, um, land, scrapes, flips, uh, single family rentals, small multi, a large multi. But right now I'm partnered in seven buildings and three houses, but seven buildings and it's about 1,400 doors. So what we're focused on now is more 200 units and above. And, um, and it's been a fun journey. We host Raising Money Summit every year, try to help people attract more capital. 
it's coming up in October again, which is around the time this will probably air. Um, other than that, yeah, I'll just move it over to uh, your questions and happy happy to help however I can. Yeah, and, and about that bio, yeah, sorry about that. I actually, I grabbed that off your website. I'm like, this has got to be the most recent. And then I'm reading through it. I'm like, uh -huh. 100 units. I feel like Adam, I've, <laughs> I feel like I've heard him talk about this and he's got substantially more than that. But I'm like, oh, I'll go with this since it's on the website. So, but yeah, I'm I think glad that's you- like three years old <laughs> and we've never updated it. <laughs> Hey, but that's, that's good. You're, you're saying three years old and look at the scale that you've already achieved there, you know, from a hundred units and now you're well over a thousand, right? You're at 1400 roughly units to date. So, sure. yeah. So yeah, no, that's an incredible story and it sounds like you've got a lot going on. So first I want to touch on like you, it sounds like you've kind of focused more or less. I know you've done different aspects of real estate, but you've done a lot of different residential and multifamily. So why multifamily in general and why should we or people be looking at it as a solid stable asset class right now yeah so based on everything that i've looked at multifamily kind of is i guess the goldilocks between everything and what i mean by that is there's a couple of assets that perform better when the economy is booming and there's a couple of asset classes that perform better when the economy sucks there's a couple asset classes that have higher cap rates, a couple that have lower cap rates. And, and again, there's a couple that um, you can't really get debt or equity on. And so when, I, when we just factor in everything, when we try to decide what we're going to invest in, um, we've decided on syndications for multifamily assets. And some of the reasons why is, is the cap rates that we have and the uh, debt that we can get, there's a really good spread. So right now we can get debt at around 3% and cap rates around 5 or 6%. And while some people might look at that and say, well, the cap rates are terrible, um, I can get a 12% cap on my assisted living or an 11% cap on my assisted living. Or they might say I, I can get, if I build self-storage units, I can get this other thing other cap rate. When we look at it with the debt that you're able to get on all sorts of asset classes, the highest amount of leverage can be on, on multifamily. And one of the reasons why multifamily has such a high uh, debt to, um, to pur purchase price ratio is because the banks see it as a safer asset class. They see it as being able to weather the storm as being around for years and years and years. Um, they're not concerned about it. It's nothing new to them. And so we have lenders like, um, for instance, HUD can invest and put their money into larger apartments like these with us. And when HUD does that, we, we might have like 15% down or something like that. And it's just really difficult to get something that's 15 or 20% down out there. Most people are seeing at least 25% down, probably 30 if they're buying assisted living or if they're buying, um, if they're buying let's just say, self-storage units. The, the debt can come nowhere near what we do with apartments. The second thing is we know that the apartment buildings are becoming more and more necessary. And what I mean by that is it's 
if you study all of the demographics, if you study, you know, baby boomers, uh, Gen X, you know, uh, etc., what you see is right now one of the biggest populations out there is the the baby boomers, and they're starting to not want to have to mow their own lawn. They're starting to not have to want to worry about ground keeping, maintenance, um, snow plowing. They just want their life to be simple and they want to be able to travel. And so a lot of them are moving into apartment communities. And the same thing with the millennials right now, the second biggest of all of the demographics, the millennials are, tend to want to move into apartment communities as well so they can travel more. They can put more of their expenses into, into things that are fun versus having to upkeep uh, a large house. And so with that said, you know, they're never making more land. Like there's nowhere besides Hawaii that land actually makes itself everywhere else. Um, it land is, is likely to be shrinking right now um, with ice caps and everything like this. So what we're looking at is people are absolutely making more babies. Population grows every single year, usually more than 1% every single year. And as population grows overall, and they're not making any more land, the need for multi-unit housing is just going to go up. So for us, there's so many different reasons why we like to pick apartments. The third one, this will be the last one that I'll share, even though I could go through this all day long. The third one is because we do syndications. My team, what that means is we have a lot of passive investors, just like Coca-Cola can grow by having by opening up to the public. Our team opens up to the private, okay? We call it private equity or private uh, placement memorandums. But we're basically essentially raising money for the deals that we close. And if I needed to explain things about assisted living, it's just more difficult. There's, there's people that automatically get hung up and worried about all of the different medicines that you might be giving out, all the different insurances that you're going to have to have. And same thing with self-storage and, and all these other asset classes. There's concerns for private equity. But when we're put, placing the money into something as simple as an apartment community, we all understand it. And so for our team, we found that it's much easier for us to raise that private equity for syndication when we're doing us apartment communities as our asset class. So those are the three main reasons why we've decided to select apartments. Yeah. And like you said, you could probably go on for, for hours talking about all the different factors that make multifamily such an attractive asset class. And you just kind of highlighted the main three there, but really it is those drivers, kind of the, the demand for it, right? It's just kind of there's always a need for it and people understand it. It's got the simplicity of it, right? It's, it's not like you have to tell somebody about this revolutionary business model to understand how they're going to make a return on it, right? It's basically, hey, there's an apartment, you rent it out, you collect rent income and, and you can pay out some distribution. So <laughs> there's so many factors that make it so great, right? And But with that being said, that actually more and more people, I, I believe, are starting to see the strength in it, right? And it's becoming more competitive as people realize the opportunity in this. So could you touch on somebody kind of like a strategy on how people can actually get into this industry and, 
make it in this competitive world? I know you kind of, I believe like a seven step process. Could you highlight maybe some of the steps on how somebody can get into this industry and, and make it being that it's so competitive? Yeah. Um, I would, I would say if, if somebody needed to jump into apartments and they're, they're noticing how many other people want to be involved and they're noticing that it's a little bit difficult for them to kind of get in front of the brokers. I, I would say that the main thing that you want to focus on when you're getting in involved, um, here's the first one is that you don't have to do this alone. And this is, this is huge. When you're doing a single family, you can easily do this by yourself. When you're doing an apartment community, you're going to have a big team. It's, it's just, it's obvious when you think about it, there's a lot of past investors that are going to have to be on your team. There's a broker that's going to have to be on your team. There's a couple different types of attorneys that are going to have to be on your team. There's going to be all sorts of lenders, insurance companies, um, you, you name it. They're all going to be have, have to be on your side. And even when it comes to your own smaller team that you are with, you're normally going to have to have somebody who's uh, a visionary and somebody who's more of an integrator. And what I mean by that is, is one of those personalities that's within your own team is going to be more willing to kind of get in front of past investors and is going to be more willing to get on the phone all day and every day talking to brokers. But the other personality is going to be more um, focused on being able to being stuck in, in indoors not having to talk to people and more like underwriting the deals, analyzing the deals, making sure that things work, calling the insurance, making sure that you're not overinsured because then you're paying too much or underinsured because then you're at risk, but you're properly insured. So when you have the, when you have a right, the right team, that's the, that's going to be the best first step. The second step is that you're going to need to make sure that you're educated and or that somebody on your team is educated and or experienced. This is essential. Uh, I really want to make sure that the listener who who's checking out this podcast today, when they walk away, that they're saying to themselves that they can't have the blind leading the blind. They must know that, that within that team, there's got to be enough experience. There's got to be enough people that have been there and done that, that you're not going to lose money for passive investors. And a lot of people, they, they say, well, I'm excited about this business. You're excited about this business. So let's just partner up. And then it becomes the blind leading the blind. They've, they neglect to have somebody on their team that has the proper experience. It's going to protect their past investors and make sure that they actually make money. And so that's the, the second big thing is, is to make sure that you don't have the blind leading the blind, that the team that you have is the right team and you're educated. The third thing that I would I would say is really important as you're kind of getting into this competitive business is that you do the right things first. And so I call it an order of operations. And here's kind of the process. Number one, you have the team. Number two, you have the right knowledge. Now it's time to understand what to do first. And most people would say, the next thing I do now that I have my team in place and I'm educated is I call brokers because it seems intuitive that that's what you would do. But we really ought to be looking at the counterintuitive when it comes to finding deals because there's two things you need to do before you ever close on a, a, on a multifamily deal or even call a broker. 
the first thing is you need to have the money lined up. And the second thing is you have to have your property manager lined up. Once you have the money in the property manager, now you call brokers. So if, if I can kind of go a little bit into more detail on that third step of the process, I think it'll be really valuable to listeners. So if we're jumping in and we're trying to say, well, if I need to call a broker, if I need to get my money lined up before I ever have a deal, how do I do that? Or if I need to call the property manager before I ever have a deal, how do I do that? And here's the best strategy. So what you'll do is you'll start by calling brokers, even though that's opposite what I said, but listen carefully. You call brokers first by just asking about the property management teams. So you're not even talking to the broker about a deal. So you're calling them and saying, I, w- I wanted to find out we're new to the area. We've been doing this for X amount of time. We're brand new to the area. And the first thing that we need is, is to interview um, property management companies. So do you have two or three references of the top property management companies in the area that I could call? So it's simple. You introduce yourself and you get a hold of property management companies. Now you start interviewing all the property management companies and your your main focus is to select one. That's the first step of step three. That's the first part of step three is, is having that property management company ready to go. And that's the way to do it. The second part of number three is that you need to ha- start getting the money. So now that you have the team, the education and the property management company on your side, it's time for you to start raising equity. And you're like, raising equity for what? And the answer is raising equity for a future deal. Because what most people make uh, the biggest mistake is that they they wait to raise money until they have a deal. And because they've been told, if you have a good deal, the money automatically comes. And that's not necessarily the case. You need to have relationships with, with your lenders, with your past investors. You, there's a lot that needs to happen for, in, in order for somebody to know you, like you, and trust you in order to keep their money with you for five to seven years in a syndication like this. So the people that have heard, if you find a good deal, the money automatically follows. I want them to know that that's just for some small single family that's at a screaming 70% off deal, 60% off deal. Um, but when it comes to apartments, you need to be developing those relationships ahead of time. And I think of an apple tree Apple tree is the easiest way to think about this because if I want to have apples, I need to find a, I need to find fertile ground. I need to find a seed. I need to plant it. I'm going to have to water it, nurture it, prune it. Eventually, you have to cut off the bad parts so that the good parts can grow and thrive. And you, you spend some time and you won't have apples tomorrow, but when you do have apples, they come forever. You never have to worry about it. And that's what I think about for you with those relationships. Now that you, if we can fast forward to the last step, let's just pretend like you have all the money raised. The goal is to have twice as much money committed as the deals that you're going to be looking for. So I want to find a $5 million deal and I'm going to put 30% down. That's $1.5 million. It's going to be 20% down plus the extra 10% you need to raise. So that's going to be 1.5 million. So what I'm saying to you is you need to have 3 million committed and your property management company already in place. And now it's time to finally call brokers. 
this is the part that nobody else wants to go through all that work. And that's why they're failing. That's why they're struggling. And a lot of your listeners are probably already trying to do this right now. And they're like, brokers aren't taking me seriously. And I don't know why. Well, here's the reason why. It's because you don't have your property management company ready to go and you don't have the money ready to go. Brokers are smart people. They're the best salespeople in the world. They make hundreds of thousands per year or even millions per year on their commissions. And the only way to, to be able to show them that you have the ability to close is to have those two things ready to go before you ever give them a call. So now it's time to call brokers and you let them know this, I'm using XYZ Property Management Company. They're the best in your area. And we have uh, in equity committed, ready to go. We have about 3 million. And what I'm looking for is a, is a $5 million project with 20% leverage and XYZ. And you give them your criteria, that broker is going to show you actual deals. They're going to believe that you can close. And so you're going to streamline all of the um, hurt and, and efforts that others have gone through and failed and failed and failed. They're running into brick walls. If you follow that system, you will not run into brick walls. You will actually get deals. Right. No, that's a great system and really detailed and shows that like, if you think it through and don't just jump in and say, Hey, I'm going to do this and take down a deal, but don't have the, the right methodology in place. Like you could be struggling and, and not get a deal done or get a deal done and have it go sideways. Right. So it's important to have those things lined up and, and really think about them and strategize before you just say, Hey, I'm excited about this. Other people are doing it. and I can get in on this. Right. And that kind of leads to negative outcomes, right? Or no outcome at all. So I know I've heard you talk a lot about it, but like marketing is, is such an important aspect of this real estate business. And you kind of talk about the different pillars of influence. So could you kind of touch on what these pillars are and, and how are they utilized in this real estate investing business? Yeah, there's, there's three major things that I have seen that all of the successful people do all three. There's three major things that all of the successful people do. And it seems that none, all of the people that are struggling, they don't, they don't, they might be doing one or two of these, but they definitely don't do all three. And it comes, here's the top one. It's a thought leadership platform. The next one is live events being in person, meeting in person. And the third one is what you do on your social media. So what I'm trying to say here is, number one, you have to have some type of thought leadership. Here's some ideas what you could do for thought leadership. You could have a blog. You could write a book. You could write an ebook. You could have a podcast. You could have a YouTube channel. Um, you could run meetups or whatever. Something like this. This is going to be your thought leadership platform. If you host conferences or something like that, people are going to be able to talk about Oh, did you go to his event? Oh, did you um, have you heard of his five steps on how to do this thing, um, etc.? So that thought leadership platform is what's going to get people to talk about you when you're not in the room. It's essential, especially if you're trying to raise equity. You want people to be talking about you when you're not even there, uh, and of course, talking good things so they're always benefiting you and growing you and your brand. It's impossible to do that without a thought leadership without some type of book or podcast or, you know, one of those others. The second one, again, is your events. And this is, it doesn't have to be a meetup or a conference. 
being meeting in person is what takes people from knowing you to liking you to actually starting to trust you because they can shake their hands. They can see your facial expressions. They can bounce questions off of you. And once you've met somebody in person, the probabilities of them investing with you go skyrocket. So the thought leadership is how you get in front of the most amount of people, but the way that you actually grow those connections that are essential for people to put hundreds of thousands of dollars with you, because that's a lot of money for each of those people. You usually can get that fastest when you're meeting them in person. So you might just host a dinner with you and and maybe your spouse and them and their partner. And, or you might have workshops that you're presenting and teaching about passive investing, or you might have host a conference or a regular meetup like I do. And I teach people how to do meetups, right? So you might do one of those as your in-person thing. And then the third and final one again was your social media. And this is a part where a lot of people have, have said, well, I don't have to do social media. Well, I want you to know they're struggling what's that guy's name? Gary V. Has anyone ever heard of Gary Vaynerchuk? Well, Gary Vaynerchuk, why have you heard of him? Because he's all over social media. And what has he said? He said, if you're not working, if you're not on social media and good at it by 2021 or 2022, you will lose the game. He said that multiple times. And all of us are sitting here um, loving Gary V and everything that he teaches and what he does on social media. But then we try to kid ourselves and pretend like we don't have to do anything on social media. But the listener now who's, who's kind of resistant to the social media thing, they're, they're, I need to share with them something. The one that's kind of feeling, I, I'm too old to do this. Uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Or I, I don't, I'm not comfortable. Or I'm, I'm an engineer. Social media is not my thing. I'm not, I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Let me just share with you some easy tips that make your social media a bit easier. The first and the first one is going back to Gary V is jab jab right hook. This basically means that you do a couple you give you, you give some value or you talk about your kids or you talk about mountain biking. I'm on my social I'm talking about my mountain biking every day. I love wine. I if I go to a wine tasting, I, I share the best wines that I had, right? Um and if I go on a, if I go traveling, I might take pictures on the travel and I'll share that. So what it really is doing is helping people understand you and it's being the middle ground between your thought leadership platform and your in-person meetings. It's being able to translate the most amount of people from just knowing who you are to actually coming and visiting you in person so that they can start investing with you. And the only way to do this is to be a bit vulnerable and let people in. And again, I, I utilize the jab, jab, right hook. So if you're on, if you are on uh, LinkedIn, jab, jab means here's some value about the markets. Here's some value about uh, interest rates. Here's some value about what apartments are doing. And then the right hook is if you ever want to invest in a company that's doing this, give me a call. Let's set up a, let's set up a time to talk and see if it's a fit. If you're on Facebook, the jab jab might be, oh, look at my kids are in, going to kindergarten this year. It's their first year. It's 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 uh, August and and this is what's happening. Or oh, I just had this great mountain biking. Or I love this cheese. Or whatever. You're you are to the core, who you are really. And the right hook is um, something to the effect of grab my lead magnet. Grab 
download this thing, this PDF for free that I that I'm giving to all people that do passive investing or want to be a passive investor. Here's a way to protect yourself. So that's your right hook is going to be more to the effect of get my lead magnet. You won't call it a lead magnet, but essentially what it is is it's a piece of value that your avatar wants in exchange to get on your list. Once you've done these three pillars of influence, now all it is is you just managing your investors. So those three pillars, if you do all three, think about, think to yourself right now, you're listening to this podcast. Think to yourself, who do I know that I would invest in? If I had a quarter of a million dollars that I wanted to passively invest, who would I choose? I guarantee with a 99% accuracy rate, that person does two things. You know them, like them, and trust them. And number two is they have a thought leadership platform, they're active on social media, and you've and they have a live event. You've met them in person. So um, I hope that resonates for your audience. Yeah, no, and you summarized those very well and went into some great detail on it. And I know that, for example, you do a phenomenal job of all three because you've identified that you have to kind of use them in combination. And it's not just, hey, I'm going to dabble in one of these and or just be set or subpar at all of them. It's like, hey, go in and actually put yourself out there and and really utilize all of them so then they can work in conjunction. And I love the way that you share about uh, the social media side of things. And literally, you're just kind of sharing things that are you like and what you do from like mountain biking and your kids. And that really allows people to who might be watching and following you who kind of heard your your valuable content in terms of like talking all about real estate. But if they're following you on Facebook or social media, they can actually see, oh, there's an actual person behind this. He's not just a guy that only does real estate. He's got a family. He's like, I can resonate with with Adam because well, I have a kids as well. And we do the same hobbies. And that kind of builds that trust even more. And it's interesting. I actually heard Dan Hanford talks about like that investor triad or the triangle or something like that, where it's the no like, and trust triangle. And, and he's asked the question for people to, to answer, like, what do you think is most important on that triad? No like, or trust. And some people give varying answers. And, and then he always says, well, it's actually no, like that's the most important thing. First of all, because how are people going to like, and trust you if they don't know who you are? Right. And that's where you're kind of talking about these thought leadership platforms, just getting your word out there let people know who you are and allows them to have conversations about you and mentioning your name when you're not even there, right? You're having conversations at scale with many listeners in your audience rather than just going one-to-one. And that would take forever to build up a following or, or people that you can influence. So no, that's really insightful in, in all that stuff you shared there. So just, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but I kind of want to know a little bit more about you know where you're focusing your efforts right now what type of markets are you focusing on? Whereabouts in the country? What do you like about those markets? Could you kind of touch on some of those those areas that you're targeting right now? Absolutely. Um, you're, what we're focused on the most to the deals that we have. So some of those apartment communities that we, we add up to the 1400, some of those we have co-GPs in and a couple of them we uh, we we own them alone. We manage them alone. We don't have any other partners, and those are the ones that we're focusing on the most right now. During uh, we're recording this end of August, twenty twenty, um, and COVID and the markets and the elections are still happening. 
Um, so the riots just happened and we're really focused on making sure that we keep our promises. Integrity is really important to us. And when we told our investors that we planned on executing, you know, a certain IRR, our main goal is to make sure that that happens. And so what we've done for a brief period of time that started in March is we've decided to take a back seat on acquisitions and just manage what we have because we want to make sure that we have that integrity uh, always. It's not a word that we throw around lightly. Um, so we're not uh, purchasing property right now. And our thought is that we might not be looking until the second quarter of 2021. And so at that point, I think we'll really start getting back into acquisitions mode and being able to ramp up. We would like to see what happens with the elections, with COVID and with the markets before we purchase. In our opinion, and I don't expect you to agree, and I also don't expect even not even half of your listeners to agree, um, but our, our feeling is if we purchase a property right now and we lose money on it, then it would have been a reckless thing for us to do. And it would have been something that was self-serving. We would have closed that because we had an ego and we wanted to close or because those acquisition fees are huge and um, we just needed to make another 300 grand or whatever. And so we feel like if we were to close a deal right now, it wouldn't be in the best interest of a past investor. It would be in our best interest, which is the only reason why we're just going to wait until we understand where the market is. And so there's just some factors into, into the why. Um, when, once we get back into acquisitions mode, we are going to need to reselect a market. We've liked Oklahoma City for a long time, and then there was some issues happening uh, in Oklahoma City with the amount of money that they had, that the governor had. He only had two years of surplus. And as well as they just gave us a ridiculous amount of the land to Native Americans, which really is going to change a lot of, of the dynamic of the whole state. And so we're lucky to not be looking right now. However, on the plus side is just as, the, as of last week, we saw um, some news come out that Oklahoma City was number three in the country for continuous job growth and um, the economy is is growing it's booming and so we'll have to reevaluate maybe we'll stay in okc and maybe we'll have to move out uh, other markets that we like are reno salt lake city provo utah um, denver colorado and dfw um, these are some markets that we like that aren't too far from us and then other markets that we like that are a bit farther are Jacksonville, Florida, and some other parts of Florida, as well as North and South Carolina. Uh, we never will close deals there just because it would it's just too far for our team. Um, but for the listener, uh, those are some markets that, that you might want to have your eye on, especially the markets in the Carolinas. Right. Yeah. And it, it's good to have that conservative approach right now where things are kind of uncertain and everyone's kind of trying to get a feel of what's actually going to happen in the next couple of years or even in the short term. But I mean, it's multifamily showing to be resilient, but like you said, you didn't want to be reckless in going out and, and just acquiring right in the midst of all these things that are going on in the economy and with the pandemic and different things like that. So that's really good insight from your perspective there. So 
Could you touch on maybe a deal that, or a property that you're managing now that, Hey, what it looked like, what, what was the business plan? How many units kind of just give a brief overview of, of a deal that you're currently managing and, and what you like about it. And yeah, just some high level details. Yeah. Um, most of our deals are doing really, really well. And there's one that's kind of a, a problem, uh, a, ch- a problem child I, or the black sheep, the one that's been a little bit more rough. And there's a couple reasons why I want to bring that one up instead of one of the ones that are performing awesome and we're hitting projections and everything like that. Those are, those are boring and they don't teach anybody anything. Um, but when we can go into detail on the one that has the issues, we can bring out those issues. And I hope that that'll help the listener. And so I want to talk about the first deal that we ever closed and a few of the reasons why it was, um, it's been such a challenge for us. The first lesson that I want the listener to take away is that the size of the property really matters, how many units and even the purchase price. And so this one was a purchase price of 1.2 million, which meant that the 20% down, um, the the 80% loan was 960,000. And remember this carefully, that's under a million. Why do I say this? Because I don't want the listener to ever buy a property where the loan is under a million. And here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, biggest reason is because you're probably going to get what's called a recourse loan. And if you get something above a million, you have a better chance of getting something called a non-recourse loan. And the main difference is if we ever mess up on that property, if we walk away, if we just totally screw up, what's going to end up happening is my name, my car and my house and my... Any other assets, you know, single way or multifamily that I have, the ability to go full recourse on those other things. And so the first mistake that we made was it was just too um, too um, low of a price that our loan ended up being a full recourse. The second thing that I would say is that it's a 16 unit. That was another issue that we did. We, we bought a 16 unit. And the reason why we did a 16 unit is because we were new at syndications. And frankly, I wasn't listening to podcasts like this. I, wasn't, I didn't have somebody to share this with me at the time. And so when I was looking at it, it just felt as though it was more of an approachable size than a 100 unit. 100 unit just felt madly overwhelming and I was, I was afraid. And so we decided to go with something quick and easy. And uh, with the 16 unit, the economies of scale are, you're going to miss out. So our property management, way expensive, et cetera, compared to what you could get if it was like a hundred unit. And so for, I can't go into tons of detail, but for uh, the listener, it's important to just share that you ought to be looking at something that's 70, 80, 90, 100, or even two or 300 units, even on your first deal versus a 16 unit or a 12 unit, like you might feel comfortable about right now, you're going to have a lot more safety and security by going a little bit bigger. Um, The third issue is that it was in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and Bridgeport, Connecticut is um, the, the laws for the tenant friendly law, they're tenant friendly versus landlord friendly. 
And so there's there comes to be some issues there where you're where you want to purchase a property in uh, an area where the city is always going to favor the tenant versus favor the landlord. And I know that that might not be a big deal to some, but if you have the opportunity anyways to buy in a really good market and have landlord-friendly laws, it's only going to benefit you, even if the cap rates are a little bit lower. The third, fourth three thing um, that we made a mistake on, uh, and I'll, I'll just go with five for this one, but the fourth thing that we made a mistake on on this property was that the, uh, I don't know why I blanked, uh, uh, but let me let me come up and, and re-say re the fourth one, because I, I have five really good ones. The fourth one would definitely be the amount of money that we raised before we closed it. And this is a great takeaway for anybody who's on. And the fifth one is going to be about property management. The fourth one being that when we went to close this, we had no idea that we needed to raise money for something called prepaid insurance. That was a foreign term. For us back then, because when we were used to do single family and even fourplexes, when you just buy insurance and it and you just pay monthly. But in this case, we had to pay for 15 months of insurance on the very first day. We didn't have that in the bank, so it came out of our pocket. Another thing that we missed uh, missed was something called uh, a utility deposit. Now, if you had to pay a utility deposit on a, on your house. A lot of us, we move into a new uh, house or a rental and we, we have to pay like 300 bucks. But when we did a utility deposit on a multi-million dollar project, it, it was amplified. It was much, much more. And I think it was like $30,000 that came again out of our pocket. We didn't raise that amount. It surprised us. Um, there was a few other things that we didn't raise money for. Uh, I will skip through them to go to the fifth and, and final thing that we did, which was the property management. I've told you at the beginning of this episode that it, how essential it is to select the property management in the beginning. And once you have a great property management company, that's who you tell your broker you're going to use. And that's who you actually do use. We didn't do that. We found that there was a property manager already in place and that she wasn't charging very much. And we figured she knew the property. And so we made the big mistake that a lot of people listening might make. We kept her in. And after we closed, we found mistake after mistake after mistake. You get what you pay for. And there was some times where we thought, that's so awesome. We had a water leak in the upper floor and it only cost 600 bucks to, to fix it, that's, that's great. I don't know how she did it, but let's just count our blessings. Well, here's how she did it. She didn't fix the water leak. She didn't fix the moldy drywall. She had someone put uh, fresh drywall over top of the moldy drywall. Well, guess what happens when that happens? You continue to have water behind the, behind the drywall, and you get an even bigger, more expensive issue. And so when we say you get what you pay for, you do. And we, we paid uh, handsomely um, by having to correct not only that problem, 
but many, many other problems that she made because we tried to go with somebody who was less expensive than having somebody who was high quality. And so it took us a lot of effort to find a new property manager that we could trust, um, but we did it. And now this property's finally getting turned around. Right. And I really appreciate you being transparent and just showing hey, the problems and the challenges that you faced rather than just, I mean, it's so easy to just to jump to, hey, this property is performing great. Everything's going smoothly. It just went exactly according to the plan and we never make mistakes. But I mean, like you mentioned already in this show is, hey, you wish you had a resource like this when you started, which probably could have helped you avoid some of these issues that you're talking about now, which is why you stepping up here and just kind of sharing and being transparent and open with these to help your listeners and help add value. So people here listening don't go out and make the same mistakes. So I really appreciate you you being transparent there. So yeah, I want to start wrapping up this conversation and take it to our final four questions where you can give short to the point answers. So what is your favorite real estate or business book? I've like anything by Gina Wickman, and I think it'll benefit anyone listening. He's wrote Traction. He's wrote, uh, written What the Heck is EOS and Rocket Fuel. Yeah, he's a great author. And I really like, is it Traction? And then the last one you've mentioned, I, I haven't heard of his second Rocket one, Fuel. Rocket Fuel. Yeah, I've heard what of that What the heck well. is EOS. Okay, perfect. So what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? I wish I knew that how beneficial having a team is. In the beginning, I didn't know that. I made some mistakes. I took a lot of time. Had I have understood the value of a good team, I think I would have you know, crossed a multimillionaire years ago. Right. So what's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? Hands down, the thing that I think it is most beneficial is practicing something called gratitude. In the mornings, I do it. In the evenings, I do it. And anytime I'm feeling stressed, I take a moment to count my blessings and to understand what I have and, and what it means to me. Because when we approach things from a stressful point of view, it's very difficult for us to accomplish anything. But when we see it from the real perspective, after practicing gratitude for a long time, it might sound weird or strange to some of the listeners, but I want to share if you can actually uh, work on this, it'll change the your whole life. It'll change how you look at everything. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's something I try to do on a regular basis is just count my blessings, right? Remember what I have and and don't... You can aspire for things, but in that journey for growth, right? Don't forget what you already have on a daily basis, right? So really agree with that one. So what do you like to do for fun? Mountain biking. Yeah. And are you, are you on your way to go mountain biking or no? No, not today. On I went six days in a row and I'm going to go four days in a row, but not today. All right. So Adam, if anybody wants to learn more about you, what you got going on with your podcast, with your investing company, how could they learn more about you or get in touch with you? Awesome. If It depends on when this comes out, but if it's getting close to October and you want to raise more capital, then I think you should take advantage of the Raising Money Summit. So the best way to find me there is go to raisingmoneysummit.com and just attend the event. It's going to be epic and we're going to add a ton of value to you. 
if it's not coming up close to October and you still want to raise more equity and get in front of your perfect target audience, start a podcast, go to raisingmoneycoach.com and you can see how I can help you there. Yeah. And uh, encourage listeners, take them up on that. If you're, you're interested in learning more, as you can see, he added tremendous value here just for free. So I'm sure there's so much more that he can add in other types of programs and, and events and stuff that he's got going on. So Adam, really appreciate you coming on the show, adding a lot of value, going into some in-depth on different topics within the real estate investing business here. So thanks again and hope to talk to you again soon. Grateful to be on. Okay, take care. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.